All right, welcome back to One True Podcast, talking Baylor and Big 12 college football. With me, as always, is the one and only John Werner. How are you, John? Well, it's another bad hair day, Bryce. <laughs> I've had a string of them. Hopefully, there's just uh, we have more listeners than viewers. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> there we go. That sounds good. <laughs> Joining us this week is our special guest, Stephen Simcox. Stephen, formerly uh worked here in uh radio in central texas and uh uh now steven you're up in the metroplex correct now or i'm actually no i'm actually still local i'm in mcgregor so okay good oh. good yeah. awesome yeah but you are doing a a, a podcast uh the, the locked on horn frogs mm-hmm. podcast been doing that uh, a couple of years uh, i assume people can get that wherever they find their podcasts Yep. Anywhere you get podcasts and then we're also on YouTube. So either way you want to digest that content is, is okay with me. Awesome. Well, thanks for hopping on uh, with us for sure. Um, so guys, you know, no offense to Bedlam, no offense to K-State who's obviously bounced back nicely or really any other big 12 related topic, but I'm making this an all revivalry edition of one true podcast because i think we've got enough baylor tcu topics to uh to cover here um so let's start with the horn frogs uh a lot of people in college football land including this one right here um thought that the uh, frogs would take their first loss last weekend in austin uh, but instead they went down there, kind of an ugly game, but they pull it out 17 to 10. Um, and in the process, not only do they stay undefeated, but they clinched that spot in Jerry world for the big 12 championship game. So, uh, Steven, I'm going to start with you on this question. John, we'll hear from you in a second, but how does TCU just keep doing this week after week after week? How do they keep winning? And, is the gap between them and the rest of the Big 12 really that wide? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I think as far as how they keep winning, uh, they've been a really good second-half football team. You know, they, they had some comeback victories against Oklahoma State and K-State where their defense started out really slow and then slowly just kind of adjusted to what those teams were doing. Um, their offense has been able to score. Now, the last few weeks they've kind of hit a little bit of a rut, and – the defense has picked them up. I think they're they're more physical than people realize. You know, I don't really – when people hear Sonny Dykes, they don't think about physicality. They think about air raid and throwing the ball around. Uh, but I honestly feel like what they're best at is running between the tackles with Kendra Miller and, and Max Duggan, their quarterback, at times as well. So they've kind of worn on people and leaned on people and made plays, you know, in the fourth quarter. The game against Texas was a total 180 from the style of play that they've really had. <laughs> Most of the year, I mean, the defense just stepped up in a in a huge way. Um, if you told me they would have held Bajan Robinson to 29 yards going to that football game, I I would not have believed you. But they they found a way to do it. So I don't think there's a huge gap. I mean, I just feel like they've been more consistent than everybody else. You know, the league as a whole has really been a week to week league. Baylor has kind of been up and down. Um, K State, I, I think really K State. It's it's just comes down to I feel like Will Howard's the better quarterback. And now that he appears to be taking over full time, um, I think that's a pretty formidable team, but uh, Texas has been inconsistent. I think they're young. So 
I just honestly feel like TCU's been able to kind of, with a lot of veteran players, you know, hold serve and and take care of business each week. But I don't I don't get the sense that there's like a huge talent gap or that they're just better at one aspect of the game uh, than the rest of the league is. Mm. John, yeah, uh, I I wrote about this a few days ago, but uh, I think they're a lot like Baylor was last year. They just somehow get it done. They're not just greatly more talented than other teams, but, you know, big plays, whatever they need, big plays, turnovers, they just get it done at the right time. And it's really been pretty impressive to see. And, uh, you know, they've got some – I mean, Duggan's had an incredible year. I I think he should be Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, And Kendra Miller's been great. And they've got really good, you know, breakout receivers – so it's a really good team, and uh, you know it'd be nice to see them make the uh, college football playoffs. Yeah, uh, you know when you win one or two close games, uh, you know maybe that gives you the confidence and the know-how to to do it again. Obviously, they've done it over and over and over. Um, I agree with with both you guys. I mean, uh, Stephen made the point that. Uh, you know, the rest of the league, um, it, to me, it's a very doggy dog conference this, this year, uh, you know, very parody filled. We've discussed that plenty on this podcast this year, but, uh, I, you know, I just feel like TCU has all the ingredients, you know, and, and of a, of a conference championship kind of team. And the fact that they, uh, have managed to go, 10 and 0 is uh it's pretty incredible really um cuz teams you know the best OU teams didn't usually get through this conference unscathed now they got two more games uh to get through but we'll see how that goes let's talk about one of those so this week we get the a revival of one of the conference's best rivalries you guys see what i did there um when uh Sunny Dykes and the Frogs do come to Waco to face Baylor um, so all logic says that TCU should win this game, right? I mean, um, the frogs still have a lot to play for with that CFP out there. <laughs> They're winning those close games. As we said, got the number one offense in the big 12 coming off their best defensive game of the year, so forth and so on. So, Meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, Baylor is coming off a what was that sort of performance? <laughs> uh 31 to 3 loss to K-State and to me they looked flatter than uh than Dave Aranda's monotone. I mean, it was just <laughs> not good. Um so there's no chance Baylor plays spoiler here, is there? Man, it's it's a good question. I think this series has been really strange the last few seasons, and it's typically been reversed. Like last year when we talked, CCU had just let Gary Patterson go. It seemed like there was obviously no chance they were going to compete. And then, you know, we know they pulled off the upset. I mean, mm-hmm. even that 2019 team that Matt Rule had that was rolling really well, um, if not for Mayers hitting, I think it was like a 54-yard field goal at the buzzer to send it into overtime, TCU would have won that game as well. They've just kind of had some good efforts. I, I expect Baylor to bounce back and play well. I just think Dave Miranda and Ron Roberts and that coaching staff are too good and have too much pride to allow them to come out and have another performance like that. 
Um, there has been a recipe to slow this TCU offense down the last couple of weeks, which has been bringing a lot of pressure. Like blitzes have, you know, gotten to Max Duggan and have caused them to kind of adjust on the fly with what they're doing. So I, I expect them to try to continue that. We'll see if TCU has a counter. Um, I mean, if I'm picking straight up, I'm going to pick the Frogs. But, uh, you know, Baylor's a, a good team. I think we had higher – I had higher expectations for them at least than they are, you know, now before the season. Um, if Blake Shapin can kind of figure something out and play better on this defense plays well, I think they'll have a shot. But, um, yeah, it certainly feels like TCU is definitely the team with more momentum and, and the group that has a lot more to play for. I just can't shake the feeling that – it is a rivalry game. I don't know how much it, it means to these guys. It's, it's, it doesn't have the same heat that it did when, when Art and Gary were there. Those, those two coaches truly, I think, hated each other. <laughs> and that permeated through the fan base and through the players. But it's, it's still got to mean something. You know, it's, it's the two private schools in the league. They're 90 minutes apart. Like, I think Baylor's going to have some motivation this week. And now you got Kaz Kazadi at TCU. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that, it just still seems weird to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's so strange. I mean, I know you guys remember him yelling at TCU. Fans oh yeah, after. oh yeah. We were standing right there yeah. <laughs> at game in Fort Worth, and uh, yeah, it's strange. But and I think he's made a huge difference. I mean, I, I feel like you see their ability to kind of win games in the second half, and and causes played a huge role in that. But yeah, I'm not sure everybody understands the irony of that because <laughs> I mean, he was. Like he was in a lot of ways, sometimes the face, he just, he, he has a personality that uh, goes way past strength and condition. Everybody knows who he is. And, you know, I remember in Waco, people loved him. Um, so it's, it's really weird to see him on the sidelines. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. John, what do you say? Can Baylor spring the upset here? I, I don't think they will, but um, I was surprised. Uh, they're only a two and a half point underdog to TC. Yeah, I, I, saw, I noticed that too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like Steven says, strange things happen in this series. And I will say in the last 10 years, I think the Horned Frogs generally get a little more up for this game than Baylor. I think, you know, they felt, felt like they were, uh, you know, kind of got the shaft, you know, not getting in the big 12 earlier. And I think they've always kind of had that chip on their shoulder. Now, I mean, this is such a great chance for Baylor to, you know, get revenge for last year some other games. Uh, I mean, they're, I, I think they're clearly the underdog here. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I still see the Horned Frogs winning this game. Yeah. Uh, it was such a weird uh, game last week for Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not that K-State won and bounced back and, you know, like they did. Obviously, K-State's a good team. But uh, just, you know, as I mentioned, how how flat Baylor was, um, it was it was surprising. I mean, uh, they had honestly, I felt like during that three game winning streak, they were playing as well as anyone in the conference, you know, maybe including TCU. But, you know, maybe that was who they were playing. I don't know. I mean, two of those games came on the road, so Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you could just completely discount that i do agree with steven that i think they bounce back and play better this week will that result in a win i don't know i mean i mm-hmm. i i still if i'm picking this game uh which i do have to at some point uh i'm picking the frogs but um again as steven said 
It is a weird rivalry. We certainly didn't see that TCU win coming last year. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Chandler Morris? Yeah. It was. Yeah. I, I remember saying we'll call from, you know, 10, 20 years from now, we'll call that the Chandler Morris game. That was his, okay. his breakout game. The other weird thing about that game, there was a lot of weirdness that day, but John, you'll, you probably will remember this. Um, and maybe, uh, when our computer guy can, uh, go back and find my photo I took of, of this guy on Twitter, but right in front of the press box, there was a Gary Patterson lookalike. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and I What's mean, this guy, this guy looks so much like Gary Patterson. I remember taking a picture of him <laughs> and going, he's still here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and they won, too. And they won. So, you know, maybe he had, uh, maybe they had some good uh, GP mojo there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah, was pretty funny. That was funny. Um, so, you know, back to the Frogs. They are uh, number four in the latest uh, CFP standings as we record our podcast that came out last night. But uh, so I saw a stat on Sports Center last night, just kind of on the scroll on the uh, the scroll on the bottom of the screen um, that said TCU had a th- 30 something, maybe 36, I can't remember, percent chance to make the CFP at the end of the year. And then I saw it popped up and it said that Tennessee had a a 60 something percent chance. And, you know, obviously TCU right now is above Tennessee in those standings. Um, I don't know how they do the math on those things. I assume that's expecting TCU to stumble somewhere in these last three games, maybe in the big 12 championship game, because there is no way an undefeated big 12 champion gets left out of this thing. Is there? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, (laughs) to me, that'd make the committee look really bad, really bad. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, uh, that percentage must be based on if TCU loses, because I don't think there's any way they could leave them out if they're unbeaten. I know like uh, USC has some really good games left. They'd probably be in pretty prime position, you know, too, just like Tennessee, you know, if TCU lost. But, uh, yeah, you can't leave an unbeaten Horn Frogs out. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, if you leave an unbeaten Power 5 team out, then you just got to blow the whole thing up because it defeats the purpose of the system. I mean, there's some things that could happen that could throw a wrench and stuff. Like if LSU finds a way to beat Georgia, um, then that makes their case really compelling. As John said, like USC has a chance to finish 12-1 and with a a Pac-12 title, which would give them a good opportunity. But if they're undefeated, they're in. I really think – Saturday is the only game they could lose and and still have a chance. Like if you lose on the road to a Baylor team that's finishes seven and five or eight and four, at least the committee can look at that and say, okay, well, all right, you stumbled on the road once. That makes sense. You still win the conference style game. If if they lose to Iowa state, I think that drops them out. If they lose to um, even K state in the conference title game, I just feel like the fact that they would not be the big 12 champion would sort of disqualify them. But um, certainly the, the easiest thing to do is win out. If if they went out and, and don't get in, then Brett Yormark's got to drive up to 
to Grapevine <laughs> or wherever that committee meets and and, and handles some business because yeah. the Big 12 is in real trouble if that happens. Yeah, you know, sometimes it feels like uh, it's so much about brand names and, um, you know, it feels like, you know, Alabama could get in with three losses sometimes, you know, yeah. I mean, because they're just Alabama, right? But, um, yeah, I, I would say that if TCU got left out in that scenario, that they would have an even bigger gripe than they had back in 2014 or whatever that was that very first year of the CFP um, when they finished sixth, uh, you know, despite being what fifth in the standings the week before uh, third, 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 sorry. Yeah. Third. Yeah. Third to, to fifth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is where they went. Uh, And they, smoked whoever they played in that last game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, so did Baylor. And I, I always thought that Baylor actually did deserve to be ranked ahead of them based on the head-to-head thing that year. But yeah. both of them had really good cases. And here's the thing. I realize Ohio State got in that year and won- ended up winning the whole thing. Who's to say Baylor or TCU couldn't have won the whole thing that year? Yeah, I mean the the namesake of this podcast, right? The, the yes. one true champion, yes. <laughs> where they where they split the title. Uh, it was a mess. And how fun would that have been? With because those two, I mean, two schools were sniping each other every single week. It was like it was like TCU and Baylor weren't playing their opponents. It was like they were playing each other <laughs> on a week in week out basis. Um, it would just been awesome to see them play in Cowboy Stadium for a Big Twelve title. But of course, we know that you know that didn't happen at that right. Point. Yeah, and I feel like the seeds for a 12-team uh, playoff may have even been planted that year uh, because we've been talking ever since about, you know, the teams that got left out and probably should have been in. So um, let's say Sonny Dykes does get TCU in in year one there in Fort Worth. Uh, that would be pretty incredible. Obviously, he would be uh, properly lauded with all kinds of national coach of the year awards he probably still will be um no matter how it plays out in these last three games but if that happens i'm kind of wondering uh how that would affect gary patterson's legacy there in fort worth obviously he's got a statue outside of the stadium <laughs> we know what he's what he did there for you know two decades uh won a lot of games won a lot of bowl games had him you know just had them right there every year. Um, so what what do y'all think as far as would that like tarnish uh, Patterson's legacy if, if Sonny were able to take TCU to a place that Patterson never did in year one? Yeah, I mean, I think it – I don't think it tarnishes it. Um, I feel like he would still be – sort of seen as the architect, right? Like he got them to a power five conference. He won a Rose bowl, which was, I mean, at this point, the biggest win in school history, um, won another new year, six game against Ole Miss in the peach bowl in 2014. It is sort of a fascinating thing to watch though. I mean, this is like, it's his team. Like they, they brought in a few transfers that have made impacts, but you know, Max has been a quarterback here for now four seasons. I mean, Quentin Johnson and Kendra Miller and, a lot of other players on that offense um, have been here for years. So Sonny has definitely unlocked something. The tricky thing for Sonny now is if he does get there in year one, 
I mean, sort of, where do you go after that? Like it's a hard, <laughs> that's a hard act to follow. Um, and it's, it's not something that you can do year in and year out, but uh, I think it probably just depends on it's it, part of the Gary's appeal too, was it's so rare now to have somebody stay in one place for 20 plus years. Like you just don't, you don't see that, especially at a place like TCU. Um, I think the jobs changed now, but when he was, when he started there, it was kind of a stepping stone to the next job. Um, so I feel like there's still a lot that has to be played out. I don't, I don't think it tarnishes his legacy, but it is, it is really uh, fascinating that they're kind of on the verge of this when, I mean, to be honest, like this was a mediocre program the last couple of years, they were five and seven or six and four kind of hovering around that, that range. And um, they, they've doubled their win total from last year. So it's, uh, it's really impressive stuff from Sonny. John. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would tarnish it like Steven said, but I do think it shows that he was still bringing in talent. Um, he just couldn't get them to rise to the occasion, I guess, or, you know, play to their talent because they've obviously have talent. I mean, to do what they're doing this year uh, just seems like they, you know, they just needed a new coach and a, a new system and just to kind of get them revived again, to get them revived in the revivalry. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah. You know, I almost compare this a little bit to when Mac Brown left Texas and here's stay with me on this. So I think at the end of Mac Brown's tenure, there were just a lot of UT fans who were disgruntled about, you know, they weren't quite living up to expectations and yeah, they were still getting some good recruits in, but they weren't winning at the level that they wanted to win at. And, you know, he gets pushed out. And we've seen what a mess Texas has been ever since. Yeah. Now, uh, at, and, you know, in hindsight, there's a lot of, man, you know, uh, Mac Brown wouldn't be bad, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, this is obviously a little different than that. I, I feel like where Texas didn't find the right guy, uh, TCU did. And uh, obviously they just had to go right across town, right <laughs> across the Metroplex to get the guy. But, um, you know, I think it could have worked out like that if they'd have hired the wrong guy. Yeah. But, you know, they Bryce and John, did, did you guys see that story from Kirk Bowles late last week that allegedly Chris Del Conte like had kind of a handshake deal with Sonny? at Texas mm. and then the boosters were like no try again and then that's how they ended up with with Sark. Yeah, I did see that. That was interesting. That is interesting. Wow. It was, it was yeah. just it was curious to me because I I was honestly a little underwhelmed when he got the job. I thought he was a good coach, but I just felt like it was kind of a cop out. He was right there in the Metroplex. He had beaten TCU a few times. But I, I just I didn't realize, like, if that's true, kind of the respect that he had across mm. the industry that, you know, he would be up for the Texas job. Because that's not a job I would have thought that he would have been able to jump to from SMU. But anyway, it was just kind of a fascinating yeah. fact. Yeah, that, that does speak to the level of respect he, he got. I'm with you. I was a little underwhelmed, honestly, uh, maybe even compared to some other hires like – uh, Joey McGuire at, at Tech, um, who I feel like is the perfect fit in Lubbock. 
it's certainly looking like a good fit for Sonny Dykes at TCU right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven, I think you also made a good point about, um, you know, if he does go to the CFP in year one, you know, where do you go from here kind of thing? I think, you know, Dave Aranda's experiencing a little of that uh, this year. Um, obviously, year two for him was the big year. You know, year one, I, I think he just – chalk that up to whatever it was COVID and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, it was tough transition, but year two, Aranda takes Baylor to a big 12 championship game. And now I feel like they're fighting a little of that, uh, expectations. I think, mm-hmm. uh, at, you know, you saw that they were the preseason number one team in the big 12 for the first time ever. And there's, you know, a fair amount of, hand-wringing and gnashing of teeth from the Baylor fans just because, you know, they might go eight and four, seven and five rather than, you know, 12, 11, 12 and one or whatever. But, uh, you know, expectations kind of, they're good and they're, and they're bad. I mean, obviously you want to be one of the best teams in the country, but it does, it does put that pressure on you to, to try to replicate that, you know, year after year. So, Mm -hmm. Can Sonny Dykes do that? We'll see. Uh, I mean, I like what he's doing there. That's for sure. Um, I will also put in a little plug here. Uh, so this this is a sign that it's a new era at TC. <laughs> John knows where I'm going. I know where you're going. <laughs> so back in the day when Gary Patterson was the head coach, he was among the the few in the Big 12. I would uh, lump him in with uh, Bill Snyder at K-State. And probably when Mike Leach was at Texas Tech, uh, who was very, um, I don't know what the word, protective or whatever of his players and not putting them out there in the media. He was very uh, much a control freak in that regard. And this is who you could talk to. I think he would often trot the same guy out each week, you know. Like Uh, a third team center. (laughs) (laughs) which you know who cares who wants to talk to that guy but um so anyway i'm doing a story this week on uh trevius hodges tomlinson the uh, stud cornerback for tcu midway product uh playing great again um he's been all big 12 the last two seasons before this one I, i assume he will be again he's got three interceptions uh, playing great. I, I assume we'll also see Trevius in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Talking to him today. Good. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, no, you're right. Gary's Gary's famous line was, if I tell you, then I'm telling X, right? So if, if I tell you who's starting a quarterback this week, then I'm also telling Baylor or Texas or, or whoever it is. So it's, it's been, it's been almost like whiplash seeing, <laughs> Like I remember Sonny a couple of weeks ago did an interview with like Barstool Sports, which is fine. I mean, like he's just kind of doing whatever they ask him to do, but it's just strange to see him going on like ESPN and all these all these shows. Um, I'm like, oh man, this is such a different, this is such a different world than we were living in for the past <laughs> the past decade or so. So I got a little curveball here at the end. Uh so Steven, on our podcast, we usually finish talking about food, but uh like it, yeah. Uh, yeah, we call it our culinary corner. Um <laughs> and here's what I want to know. This is one I actually asked uh, John, I think, last week. Um 
So Thanksgiving's coming up. This is the Super Bowl of food holidays. I mean, mm-hmm. um, when you are loading up that plate on Turkey Day, what's like the one thing that, I mean, you're looking forward to the most? Oh, wow. Um, probably like pumpkin pie. Oh, That's yeah, right. baby. <laughs> That's yes. Make I'll that just, a sweet, right? Yeah, I'll go straight to dessert. I'm also... Like, I like cranberry sauce. It's not that I love it, but it's that that's the only time of year that I'm going to get it. So I enjoy that. But, yeah, pumpkin pie and then, like, sides, mac and cheese, even Mm. though that's, you know, that's something that's pretty standard. But those are my go-tos. That's awesome. Uh, Those are great choices. Uh, Pumpkin pie is literally, as John is well aware, my favorite food on the planet. All right. Um, And, John, you have told me before it is a – Superfood. Superfood. That's so that pumpkin is a, pumpkin is a superfood. Food. So I feel like not only am I eating a dessert, apparently it's somewhat healthy for me, right? That's exactly, right. Yeah. Bryce. <laughs> That's, That's why you went to it. That's, That's what we're going to say it. anyway. So uh, anyway, <laughs> check out uh, Locked on Horn Frogs podcast with Stephen Simcox. And uh, Stephen, man, great to talk to you. Thanks for hopping on. Should be a fun game on Saturday. Uh, we got big noon kickoff here in Waco. Yep. Uh, I didn't really see that coming, but, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, okay. So, I mean, obviously, I guess they're here for TCU, but I, I just felt like TCU's got the Big 12 locked up now. So, you know, I, I don't know. You know, it, it to me, it was a little bit of a head-scratching choice, but whatever. So. Yeah, and I think I think they're sending. So it's weird. So Cl- Joel Clatt and Gus usually do that game, but they're sending them to USC, UCLA. Mm. So I don't I don't know who the talent's going to be for for the Baylor TCU game, but it should be a great matchup. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I heard them at the basketball game last night over at the Ferrell Center say something about Leinert and Reggie Bush would be there, and okay. Um, so I don't know who who's along with those guys, but anyway. So uh, if you want to go check out Big Noon Kickoff, do that. Certainly check out Locked On Horn Frogs and visit us on WacoTrib.com. And uh, we'll have more coverage of this uh, revivalry. But, guys, thanks. Appreciate it. See you, guys. All right. Thanks, guys.